Welcome everybody to Zeta Global Radio. I am your host, Lainey Savante Walken, and thank you so much for spending your Saturday here with us. We are bringing back, it's been a little while, of course there's been hurricanes and other life events that have gotten in the way, but we have a brand new show and a very popular series, of course we do here through the years, is our Conscious Music and our Conscious Film Series. And today we are talking to two extraordinary filmmakers, not only about the subject of what they're talking about, about them as well as filmmakers. And I'm very excited to welcome our first guest, Jennifer Stein. She's the executive producer and writer of Travis, the True Story of Travis Walton. And for some of you, immediately, you know what that means. You know, you think fire in the sky, you think aliens, you think abductions. But she does a lot more, and we're going to delve into it right away. So welcome to the show, Jennifer. Thank you so much for being here. She is the owner and creatress of On Wings Productions. Welcome. Thank you, Lainey. It's such a pleasure to be invited on your show. Thank you so much. It's an honor, really. I'm, uh, as a filmmaker and a lover of film and passionate about telling a story, an important story that needs to be heard, particularly if mainstream's not doing it, I'm astounded and not surprised by how many awards you've won across the world in for this film. So, first off, congratulations. That's a, quite an accomplishment. I'm, I'm very honored because I never went to film school, so that's an accomplishment. Well, I read that in your bio, and I was like, my heart was a little, like warm and hugged around you because... That's okay, right? It's it's. I feel sometimes spirit just gives us that divine knock, right? That this is yours to do, and you're gonna. And all you ever need is already inside. It's my favorite quote. So, is that how it kind of came for you, or how did you jump into getting into what you do now? Well, I started about twenty years ago, but it was passion that drove me. I my first documentary was a short one about a friend of mine killed in a terrorist bus attack in Israel, which was a wow. horrible situation. But I wanted to do something that honored her life and that didn't um, encourage retribution, but encouraged healing and bringing communities together. So we we made uh, created a, a legal aid bureau in her memory that helps women and immigrants, no matter where they come from, uh, what country they come out of. And it's in a very immigrant-located area in Israel called Carmiel. And I think that by the making of the film, we raised enough money to build this legal aid bureau in my friend's memory. And so, as you can see, I'm passion-driven as a filmmaker. And I usually make projects that wouldn't otherwise get made because I have to fund them myself. You're so needed. You're so needed. And that's a common, it's a very common um, story that we hear on the show. In fact, a lot of times... People come on and they haven't even made their film yet, but they have it ready to go and we're helping them get their Kickstarter going. I mean, it, it's so important we get out there. So thank you for the work that you're doing. Well, thank you for recognizing it. It is, um, it is a spiritual path, a spiritual mission, um, you know, to put data together for people in, in a way that allows them to take their imagination and their awareness just a little bit further than they had it before. And I'm one of many you know, um, spiritual foot soldiers on the planet. I, I think we're all kind of waking up to one another uh, in various yes. ways. And I'm, I'm really delighted to connect with you and your husband. I'm, I'm excited we may even work together in the future. It would be great. Oh, 
blessings. Well, this is a completely spiritual talk show, so everyone who listens knows that we're all one, and I always believe that divine destiny always brings forward the right people at the right time to tell the story, to connect, to bring us to the next level for humanity. So this is one of these divine appointments, I believe, is going on right here. You got into the subject matter. People always want to know, okay, she's self-funded or she's pulling it all, the passions behind her. But out of all the stories, out of all the causes, how did this come about? Because this is obviously a very well-known story. And for, for those who are out there, some believe, some don't. So tell us your story of the story. Well, I guess to, to define where the passion came from, um, I myself had a UFO sighting in 1975, actually the same year as Travis, probably a few months before he did. And I won't go into telling that story, but I'll, I'll just, for, for a short caveat, I'll explain that I was 19 years old, and it was a close sighting, less than 500 feet away, and it was probably, you know, an 80, 90 foot undulating white light that I could not understand. And I had some missing time. Now, that stayed in my own personal gray box for about 25 years because I didn't know how to interpret it. No one, mm. I didn't know people who had these types of experiences. I thought it was a spiritual experience, and it may very well have been, as many actual UFO encounters uh, become for people. They, they do expand them very much. But it stayed in my gray box until I realized it was a real experience 25 years later when someone came forward, a good friend who was in my house at the time, on a different floor of my house, and they saw and experienced the same thing I did. And for some reason, we never talked about it when we were teenagers. It just remained like this bizarre memory we had and I journaled it because I wasn't sure if it was a dream or not so when I realized it was a real experience in about 2000 I was 45 years old at the time and I said okay I'm going to either continue to keep this in my gray box or allow this information to filter in and allow it to change me give myself permission to go to UFO conferences and start reading UFO books I mean I don't need to be um, I don't need to ridicule myself. Other people will when you step into this field for sure. But I need to have the courage and the bravery and the confidence to know, okay, this is part of my own personal lexicon, right? I either accept it and allow it to change me and grow me or I don't. And I decided to move forward into this field and started a local UFO group and continue to bring in speakers and learn and read and go to conferences. So that's my personal journey. In that journey, I got involved in helping to be an assistant to a friend running the Roswell Conference in Roswell, New Mexico, about mm-hmm. 2010, 10 years later, right? So 2010, I'm in Roswell, New Mexico, and, and Travis Walton is one of the speakers at the conference. And I have the good fortune to be invited to have dinner with him and a couple of the other speakers. So we're sitting around talking about the importance of the Roswell story, And I look at Travis and I say, Travis, your story is just as important as the Roswell story, but nobody knows it unless they've read your book. And they all think that the Fire in the Sky movie that Paramount Pictures made is the true story. And it's not. It's distorted the facts. Of course, it's Hollywood. Right. That's what Hollywood (laughs) does. Hollywood's trying to sell tickets. So they had to take the truth and stretch it. So we're sitting around at this very successful conference in Roswell that's been going on for 
practically 25 years now, over 10,000 people on an annual basis on the weekend of July 4th to like the, the you know, the, either July 1st, 2nd, 3rd, something like that. They all converge at Roswell. And so we said to Travis, you know, you could do something for your small little towns of Heber, Snowflake, Holbrook. You could have, you could start a conference up there. Right. So this was 2010, right? And we're, we're talking about it over a glass of wine and a beer, and we're, we're laughing and we're joking. But I've run conferences. That's what I do. I was an event planner for many years before I started doing film work. So Peter Robbins and I, another author in the UFO topic, started saying, well, you know, we've, we're running Roswell. But, you know, we could probably, like, we can coach you. We can get started. We can help you. Like, you know, you make contacts, you know, you start. So in the process of planning for a 40th anniversary conference, which did take place and we did run in 2015 in the town of uh, Heber, Arizona, which is closest to where Travis's event took place, we started okay. the conference. And that's how I got involved in making the film. Wow. Thank you for that background. Fantastic. Well, I think that the film obviously now speaks for itself. And uh, it's an extraordinary story. And it's so, uh, and I got to watch it. And I, what I love so much more about documentaries versus narratives, and there's nothing wrong with narrative feature films, but when we want to pick up the energy and the essence of really how people were experiencing it, you got to go to a documentary and you so covered it with all the interviews and data and, you know, uh, testimonials and all that. So I think that that's why it's done so well, because it's really not, it's not a typical UFO documentary, because it's not really about UFOs as much as it is about how this event really affected all these boys' lives and changed their lives right. and stretched them and, and forced them to grow. And unfortunately, a lot of it wasn't very pretty. The, that working crew, the logging crew that was in the forest that encountered this UFO, they never worked together another day as, as a crew. They, that crew broke apart. Many of them lost their jobs. Many of them had you know, really terrible emotional hurdles to go through with their family and their communities. Uh, educational doors or job doors that might have been open to them were closed. Some of them had to move away. There was infighting that went on between them because these boys were accused of murder because Travis went missing. You know, the way it broke in the news was a homicide story, a UFO story, and a missing person story. And there was a lot of confusion around really what was going on. Wow. It, it needed a documentary to kind of pull those pieces together. And my goal and hope was to kind of create some healing amongst those relationships and amongst the people in the town. I mean, even the police and the guy who did the, the polygraph expert, they were ridiculed for being involved in the story. We need to take a quick break, but when we come back, we're going to talk more about the documentary and more about Jennifer Stein and Travis Walton, the documentary behind the UFO abduction. You're listening to Zeta Global Radio. We'll be back in a moment. Welcome to the Natural Awakenings New Mexico November issue. This month we address how to live diabetes-free and preventing and reversing it naturally, the benefits of a silent retreat, Be Set Free Fast, a four-day intensive breakthrough, one-minute exercises can change your life, Lisa Rankin shares a cure for fear. For guidance on marketing your business in a cost-efficient way, to reach thousands of readers, please email publisher at naturalawakeningsnnm.com 
or call Andrea at 505-999-1319. Have you always wanted to learn how to meditate but don't know what to do with all the thinking? Do you wish you knew how to transcend the negative voices of your perfectionism, procrastination, anxiety, and critical self-talk? Do you have a creative project in mind but don't know where or how to start or are lacking inspiration? Spiritual and creativity coach Hallie Bourne, with over 25 years of experience, can support you in finding more productive ways to care for your sensitive soul and your need to create. Unveil the ways your ego is sabotaging you and reorient towards your strengths to disempower your weaknesses. Turn your creativity into a spiritual path that infuses your life with meaning and fulfillment. Visit Hallie's website at HallieBourne.com or call for a consultation at 505-249-4981 and get started with your inspired life today. Welcome back to Zeta Global Radio. If you're just tuning in, we are talking to executive producer Jennifer Stein about the Travis Walton documentary. If you're just tuning in, you need to go back and listen to this archive because today we're talking about conscious filmmaking. And it's so important that I mention the word conscious because most of the time they're documentaries and sometimes they're feature films. But we were sharing, as Jennifer was agreeing, how important it is to bring forward the humanity and the humanitarian efforts that people are doing behind the work. And so when you said it was a spiritual path for you, I lit up like a Christmas tree because that is so important that people aren't just putting together documentaries to get them out. They're not big money makers, people. There always are passion behind it, and it's great that you said that and why it's so important that we gather community support for projects like what you're doing and everybody else who are bringing these stories. Wouldn't you agree? Oh, yes, absolutely, Lainey. You, you hit the nail on uh, the, the hammer on the head with the nail <laughs> because I probably will only lose money on this project. I probably won't make money on it. Well, that's why we need to shift the paradigms. I think particularly, and let me ask you, actually, not think particularly, I want to ask the direct question, is this being picked up from mainstream media, or are you still sort of on the alternative fringe UFO paranormal circuits? I'm just curious to see how much this is kind of broadened into, or is it more still like we're over here and the rest of the mainstream's over there? Well, I'm hoping that it will get picked up. Um, I have one, as we mentioned in the, in the first section of our interview, I have one about 22 mainstream film festival awards, you know, and that it's screened at these festivals and I got laurels as an official selection. And out of mm-hmm. those 22, another six or seven of them gave it special awards like best documentary or best true story or best personal story. So if you're counting those, and it's closer to 29. And I only really put it in about 50 film festivals. So that's more than half mainstream film festivals who accepted it and considered it, which is not typical for a UFO film. So yes, it's making some headway, but then to get it in the hands of a distributor or something else that you know wants to buy it, uh, that's another step. Now, I do have a dear friend out of Canada named uh, Mark McNabb who's taking it to the L.A. Film Week in the beginning of uh, November this year, and he's going to put it out there and hope to get uh, possibly Amazon, Netflix, Sci-Fi, History Channel, Discovery. We don't know, but we're hoping someone will take an interest in it. I have a couple versions of the film out. I, I, 
I have an earlier version of the film, which I could sell as a DVD, but I had some rights issues launching it into a network, so I had to remake mm-hmm. the film. So the, the new wow. film is about 40% new. It's still the same basic story, but I have different archive footage and added some in-depth interviews, some in-depth tree research that we discovered, which was very important, discovering tree rings in the area that grew at a 33% growth rate in the area of the craft. Wow, that's very interesting. It was, it was known somewhat before that there was some rapid tree growth, but we didn't actually have the details that it was in fact 33% greater and in a circle all around where the craft was. So this means that each tree grew greater in one direction only, and it was, uh, I'll say, epicentrically focused towards where the craft had been. So if you went around in a circle, each tree had rapid growth in a different spot. Now, that's not going to happen naturally through nature, not at a 33% growth rate. That's astonishing. It is astonishing, and we found confirmation for this in trees around Chernobyl that were affected by that major radiation exposure. In a five-mile radius around Chernobyl, the Scott pine trees, which were basically a cousin to the Ponderosa pine trees you find in Arizona, they, were, they grew the same amount. So there's mm-hmm. a, a reaction that, it, that a pine tree has in trying to throw off the radiation, that it doubles its wood, out, wood pulp output like, you know, several times, 33% more than normal. And you can document that for a good 15 years. How can people view the film? I know the newer version. Is it out? Is it on, on websites? Or what's the best way for people who are listening right now, wherever they are in the world? Yeah, they can only view the, the very first version, which does have some of the tree ring information in it, but not quite as in-depth. Uh, the first version has been available as a DVD, and that's the only way we're making it available for now. Uh, and they can go to TravisWaltonTheMovie.com and they can buy a DVD, and it will play all over the world. It's, it's formatted in Region Zero, and they can they can buy the DVD and watch it. But we are hoping that if there's enough interest, if enough people say watch the trailer, share the trailer with their friend, create some Facebook interest or some Twitter interest, that will put up the numbers. You know, once once a trailer's been seen over a million times, a network pays attention to that. That's right. Becomes interested in saying, wow, if a million people are interested in this, if I market the film and put it out there, we'll, we're likely to make our money back. And that would be really helpful to me. So um, that's why we continue to do little, here and there we do special screenings, usually for nonprofit events, um, to help bring in Travis, get the word out, get some promotion around it. Um, So occasionally he speaks at UFO conferences, and occasionally we've screened uh, the newer version, just in a few unique cases. So it's very, very rare to see the new version, because I am still, of course, hoping to sell it and maybe make back some of my investment. Here's a question I ask all filmmakers, particularly ones who bring out a very successful uh, documentary. Does this become your life works, or do you have other... Of course, I already know the answer, but I just wanted you to share it. Does this become one of many of your life works, and then you have other other uh, 
desires to uh, causes and thoughts. Just curious about that. <laughs> well, yes, I I'd like to do some other films. You know, the films about UFOs and crop circles and ESP and you know uh, the the spiritual topics, the topics that take humanity to the next level of of awakening and awareness, really are of course my passion. I've been a member of Noetic Sciences for. 35 plus years. I had the pleasure of meeting Edgar Mitchell when I was 19 myself and uh, mm. got involved in noetic sciences. And, and he was been a mentor to me. He actually gave me a willing, voluntary endorsement to the back of the Travis film, which I put on the CD cover. And I was very sad to lose him uh, when he passed away just a, a few years ago. But mm-hmm. I'd like to do other film projects, absolutely. But I'll tell you, I've taken the opportunity to use the Travis Project as a teaching skill in learning, all right, if I'm going to be a real legitimate filmmaker, you know, rather than just a, you know, uh, an, an amateur filmmaker, what do I need to do? How do I need to walk through these steps? So I've been self-educating myself, buying film books, learning, all right, what, how does my website need to look? What's an electronic press kit? How do I do a trailer? What do I need to have out there in terms of digital content, you know, in social media? So I've really kind of done my homework on this and tried to dot my T's and cross my I's and do it right, which is hard for a dyslexic, (laughs) creative person who's not a great speller. Well, let's go back to what you said earlier, 29 awards, Jennifer. I've met many filmmakers, and if they got one or two, that's that's an incredible feat. So really take that in. (laughs) And I must say, I had help and support because I'm a collaborative filmmaker. So if you look at the back of the CD, you see that, you know, Ben Hansen and Adam Stein and Zach Wild and, you know, Travis himself and uh, Stanton Sure. Peter Robbins, I mean, all these wonderful experts. I stand on their shoulders. They bent over backwards to do research, to help me, to guide me. Sometimes it was stuff had to be done really quick, and I needed like an answer on an email in 10 minutes, and and people dropped what they were doing to help me. So I couldn't have done it without that amazing help, and and I'm still getting help and support. So I'm, I'm very grateful, and I don't take it for granted. Do you feel at this point in time that we're close to actually having public disclosure of uh, aliens and abductions and UFO? There, I, there, there is an underbelly which is rumbling. I don't know if you follow this uh, young uh, actor, songwriter, person named Tom DeLong out of California, but he's brought together some very interesting experts um, mm. that, are, that have backgrounds in military and in Hollywood. We have very interesting backgrounds, and they're making very poignant statements. He's also had some correspondence back and forth with um, uh, John Podesta. Uh, who was Hillary Clinton's, of course, you know, campaign manager. And, mm-hmm. uh, we know who right. John Podesta is. He, he came forward and asked for freedom of information files on this topic in the past. So there may be, you know, I hear from insiders from time to time that can't talk openly, but they can have a beer and say generalities of things, and they can tell you things that other people have have shared with them but not what their own secrets are and it's interesting that there's a sense that us in the ufo community are getting that there are some people that really want the bigger secret out but they don't have the clearance 
to bring it out, but they want people to know. Um, even the president of MUFON, Jan Harzine, shares, and I did a little film uh, loop on this I may put up on my website, where the president of Skunk Works, named Ben Rich, in 1999, said at a UCLA alumni gathering where he spoke about, you know, futuristic aircraft and the works of Skunk Works, he said, you know, we have the ability to take E.T. home. We have stuff you'll never know about for for 50 or 100 years, because it's so far buried in a black project, it, it it will never see the light of day. When somebody like the president of Skunk Works, like Ben Rich, says that, wow, I mean, yes. Something's happening. Maybe we are on the verge. I mean, you just look at, well, where's all this missing money going all the time? I'm not accusing our government of being, you know, I'm not unpatriotic in, in any way. Uh, I don't think we need to have a revolution to have disclosure. And But, but, we have to be conscious about the way in which we do it. We have to be aware and compassionate. This kind of information being unleashed on the American public could be very damaging, and we don't want to go into chaos. Oh, Jennifer, yes. I think we're bigger than that as people. When, when you really do the counts and you look at the numbers of sightings and the number of people that report their sightings, there's over a probably, there, there's, there's reported over, like 13,000 sightings a year between Canada and the United States. And that's less than, that, that's one in 10 that's been reported. So if you do the math, that's 100,000 sightings just here in the northern, you know, North America. Well, what about South America and Europe and Russia and China and India? Of course, there's, there's probably over a million sightings a year. So yes. more, probably more than half the population already has an experience that they don't know what to do with, like me when I was 19. Well, thank you so much for all that information. And I'm sure you've sparked the, uh, the inspiration for people, if they have had experiences, to come forward. Uh, I certainly hope they watch the movie. Travis, let's go ahead and give the website again. I don't want to misstate, misstate it. Go ahead. Walton, Travis Walton, themovie.com. Okay, couldn't be any easier. And we'll go ahead and have information on our Facebook page, so join us there. We'll go ahead and have an archive of this as well. But this show is not over. We still have a whole second half to go with an incredible filmmaker. I can't wait to share all about what he's up to. Jennifer, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for the beautiful work that you're doing. We look forward to seeing all the projects you have coming up the pike, and we'll, we'll certainly here at Zeta Global Radio love to support you in the future. Thank you, Lainey. It's been a pleasure to be on your show. Thank you. We'll be back in a moment. We're following the light every day at Escape to Paradise and Trice Massage Therapy, a holistic wellness spa for men and women. We're thrilled this year to be part of Spiritual Communities Network's light tour taking place November 10th, 11th, and 12th. We'll have special demos, tours of our spa, and a daily giveaway. Come visit our collective for a chance to win a 60-minute therapeutic massage, 90-minute facial specialty, or a 60-minute Reiki session. To learn more, visit us today at sparadice.skincaretherapy.net. Spiritual Communities Network 
where we honor the uniqueness in our oneness. Visit our website to meet our vast spiritual community of healers, therapists, conscious events, and activities. Visit and check out our directory, upcoming retreats, workshops, products, free videos, and much more. Many services are available globally by phone, Skype, and other sources of media. You'll also find more information on how you can be a member to promote the work you're doing in the world. Visit us now at spiritualcommunitiesnetwork.com. Welcome back to Zeta Global Radio. Thank you so much for being here today. Whether you are an avid filmmaker or you are captivated by the subjects that these women have brought to the big screen, we're glad you're here and we absolutely want you to share these wonderful interviews far and wide. They're powerful, pivotal films. They're about iconic men who are making huge headlines and have been for some time. So it's a real honor to have both of our guests here today. This half of the show I'm proud to have here, Miranda Bailey. She's the producer and the director of The Pathological Optimist, featuring the iconic subject matter around Andrew Wakefield. And, of course, Andrew will be here for a full hour next week. But this is all about Miranda and what she's brought to the screen. So welcome to the show. We're so glad to have you here. Thank you. It's great to be here. So I know you're probably doing a myriad of interviews and probably being asked the same questions. So I hope we can, you know, bring forward a flair here that will captivate you as well as our audience about this film. And maybe just start off with a little bit of a background because this is not your first rate, first foray into filmmaking. And so I just want to maybe give people a little background on who you are and what's led you to doing this latest project. Um, well, this is The Pathological Optimist is my second feature documentary. Um, my first feature documentary that I directed was called Greenlit that premiered at South by Southwest in, I believe, 2010. Um, and then this was my second documentary. Um, uh, and then I've also produced a number of uh, narrative feature films um, and documentaries as well, including um, Diary of a Teenage Girl, Squid in the Whale, Super, I mean, it's, it's kind of 23, um, produced 23 uh, other films as well. Do you have a preference for uh, uh, narratives or documentary, or is it the subject matter that calls you? Um, you know, I, I think it kind of switches around. Um, I just directed a, uh, a narrative comedy with Jim Gaffigan um, that we're in post-production on right now called You Can Choose Your Family. And I have to say that was a lot of fun. Um, in terms of directing, I'm, I think I'm focusing more on uh, <laughs> comedies um, right now just because working on The Pathological Optimist for five years was a bit grueling and uh, hard. <laughs> so, so I think right now I'm leaning towards it, but um, I love documentaries. I love sports documentaries. Um, I love the O.J. Simpson one. I love, I love really um, controversial documentaries. Or Clearly. Yeah, <laughs> yes, that – that, um, that don't tell you what you're supposed to think, but allow you to kind of make up your own mind. Um, like I, I loved uh, Citizen Four as well. I thought that was a great documentary. Well, I, I'm so, um, you know, I come from a long background in filmmaking on a variety of scopes, but I want to just acknowledge you how beautiful the film was. And I can't wait for people to see it because you nailed exactly what you just said. You brought forward the controversy. Well, the controversy in itself was already there. But the way you laid it out, you 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 did a perfect dance in allowing people to make up their minds. Like you said, you allowed people to 
see all the different sides, and also shed some beautiful light into who Andrew was. And I told, and, I, and we'll talk about that more next uh, next week with his interview about who he is as a person, because so many times, as we know, the media just takes the ball and run with it, and people just buy it, and that's why. I love what you did. You know, obviously, you know, who's right, who's wrong, what the news is, you know, all that stuff is is one side of things. But, I mean, there's always so much more in every story. I, I didn't know what I would find when I uh, opened this um, can of worms, shall we say, into his life. Um, but yeah. I think what we found is that, you know, it's a little more protracted and complicated than we've originally been told. Do you feel uh, now after doing this, and maybe you had a perception before, but did you really come to terms now with how the media, uh, I won't say what I was going to say, how the media really uh, inspire and also detract from truth and can change things and can alter how basically powerful mainstream media is. I mean, what's your thought on that? Fortunately, I think one of the things that I've learned through this experience, which, you know, maybe I knew a little bit before, but I wasn't sure, um, was that the media is bought, that the mainstream media is is bought. Um, And I mean, in Hollywood, for instance, like when we're, you know, doing a movie, we hire a publicist. And then that publicist goes and you know, um, talks to the New York Times or talks to something about doing a story on, you know, you know, of one of the actors. And then it just so happens that actor is also promoting a movie. And I did not realize that they also do this with actual news stories before some sort of product goes on the market, whether it's, um, you know, <laughs> a fire retar- new fire retardant and there just happens to be all these fires that are happening just before this thing is launched or whether it's a medicine or whatever. And, and that um, <clears throat> made me feel like everything we read is advertising. And that um, I think that's sad that journalism, a lot of journalism has become that. No doubt. I hear all the time, we've been doing this show a while, uh, from Grammy Award winners to Academy Award winners to major people like Dr. Deepak Chopra and Dr. Judith Orloff. I hear over and over how doesn't matter how big you are, how well-known, not not everybody in mainstream media is even going to cover you, even when you become prolific. It's just, it's astonishing that there's still sort of an alternative, uh, you know, uh, a less spiritual community. There's you know there's all these different offsets that aren't considered or fringe, um, and a lot of people have to find that outlet for promoting because mainstream doesn't cover it. Yours, on the other hand. You know, I would think that everybody would be covering. How's the response been? I've made mm. 23 films, and this was the first one that the New York Times wouldn't review. But mm-hmm. there are certain requirements you have to have to get nominated for Oscars um, and stuff like that. And, you know, I mean, all of the main, you know, newspapers and everything would not cover this. Even if Dr. Paul Offit, who, uh, you know, gets in every, um, you know, paper talking about um, this uh, subject guy, um, Andrew Wakefield, even his review of the film wasn't able to go in like, and he writes for the Daily Beast. So, how has the response been for film festivals? Or are you just starting to like? Where are you at in the process of that? I used to be the founder of a particular film festival, so I know that circuit. So I'm curious to know how the reception has been um, in, in going along that, or I don't even know where you are in that play. 
Um, well, we, we spent a year attempting to get into film festivals. The problem was that um, Andrew Wakefield released um, Vaxxed or mm-hmm. went out with Vaxxed before we went out with this movie. So had we been able to finish before he did his um, uh, and, and, and before the Tribeca Film Festival kind of scandal that he was accepted and then kicked out, sure. had we been able to um, go out, I, I, we all firmly believe we would have been able to be in a lot of documentary film festivals and, and several festivals. I was, I was very close to actually getting into two of the very top festivals. But at the end of the mm-hmm. day, the head of, you know, the programmer said, we can't touch this subject with a 10-foot pole because they just didn't want to deal with uh, the backlash that happens sure. now um, in association with uh, anything that may be deemed uh, possibly anti-vaccine or even pro-vaccine because there are so many um, hard opinions on either side of that debate or, you know, I don't even know if it's a debate, but it's like a <laughs> difference of opinion. I don't know, but um, it's pretty intense. Um, and it's unfortunate that uh, this is not a movie about that. I mean, when you watch it, it, it is not about vaccines. It is about the man mm-hmm. that people are screaming and shouting about, which, you know, about vaccines. But it's certainly not a movie that, you know, tells you to or not to vaccinate or anything like that. It's about this guy's family. It's about what's it like to be married to him? What's it like to live you know, with looking yourself up on Google and seeing how much everyone hates you. What's it like to go to another place and have people, like, adore you and treat you like a martyr? What's it like to have a father who's called the worst person in the world? I mean, that's what the movie is about. It's about rejection. It's about a modern-day Sisyphean story. Oh, I, I, I have chills head to toe as you're talking. Uh, I'm just playing the movie in my head, and that's why I can't wait for everybody to see that. And you're right, that that is so true. And again, it goes back to media. I was in, I'm involved with a climate change film, and then when the administration took that off the website, uh, suddenly this climate change film was considered political. And we had people from Discovery Channel and everyone else saying, suddenly we can't touch your film, it's political. We're like, it's about the earth. <laughs> and so I totally... Um, really sympathize with this plot. And we did have Dale Bigtree on our show with Vaxxed, and we paired Vaxxed up with this climate change film, We Know Not What We Do, earlier in the year. And we were having these discussions about, um, kind of similar to what we're talking about now, but I didn't realize as a result of what happened with uh, Robert De Niro and Trebecca that that ends up affecting adversely. I would think they would embrace it. Like, now we could even dive deeper. You don't get great news, but they... It's, a, it's, and I, here's the thing, like, I understand, like, you know, from a, you know, an industry member's kind of standpoint, I understand you're like, you know what, I don't want the focus of my festival to be about, like, vaccines or this guy, because there's so many other films, and I won't, you know, we're an art festival, and let's just focus on that, and I get it, you know, I just think it's, um, it's unfortunate that we've become a society that is um, unable to, you know, be trusted to, watch something and, and not be uh, propagandized into it. And this is certainly not propaganda, but there's lots of nowadays people want you to make a documentary that tells you what to do. And um, I find that a lot of the um, criticism of this film is certainly not in if it's good or not, or if it's exciting or anything, it's all about, Oh, she should have also interviewed, 
these other people. She should have had people opposing him. And that's not what the movie was, you know? Right. I mean, yeah. it just like, you know, like <laughs> I made a movie, um, a documentary called Unraveled, which was about uh, a, a financial schemer named Mark Dreyer, who's in jail right now. And we, you know, taped him on 30 days of house arrest. He was talking about his crimes. We watched him with his lawyers. It was very similar to watching him with his son. Never what we called uh, pro-financial scheming or, um, you know, never was there an issue about just doing a character study on that guy. But you're not allowed right. to do a character study on Andrew Wakefield, I guess. Interesting. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, more with Miranda Bailey. You're listening to Zeta Global Radio. We'll be right back. The Sun, Wheel of Fortune, High Priestess, or The Hangman. If you're one of the thousands of tarot enthusiasts out there, you know these are just a few of the major arcana in a tarot deck. Also known as cardamancy, reading a tarot, Lenormand, Kipper, and Oracle decks are as popular as they ever were and even becoming more mainstream in today's modern world. We now invite you to delve further into this ancient practice by reading our quarterly printed magazine called The Cardamancer. Filled with interviews, product reviews, in-depth articles, and art, the Cardamancer has something for everyone, from beginner to professional. Our subscription-only magazine can be found at thecardamancer.com. And right now, we're offering ZGR listeners a special sneak peek at one of our digital issues. Just log on to thecardamancer.com slash ZGR, all caps, and enjoy a copy today. Hi everyone, Lainey Savante Walken here, and I wanted to share with you a little bit about a female networking group that I've been involved with for many years now. And if you've been looking to connect with other fellow women owners and executives, both locally in your city or across the country, please consider Fem City. It is an incredible network founded by Violet Day Ayala. They have over 100,000 women with chapters in most major cities nationwide in Canada. Fem City focuses on growing all of our businesses. It's an incredible, vast network for and by members who are experts in health and wellness, spiritual, cultural and lifestyle, financial, corporate fields, media, so much more. Business for your soul is the tagline. It's just incredible. I love it. I know you'll love it. I'm a global lifetime member. I hope you check it out. Visit them today at femcity.com and learn how you can become part of an organization that continues to soar and expand so you can too. Welcome back to Zeta Global Radio. Lainey Savante Wilkin here with Miranda Bailey, producer and director of The Pathological Optimist. You have to go back and listen to any segment that you missed because this is a show that we're talking about today about passionate women creating impact in the world through the big screen, particularly through documentary filmmaking. So real honor. Uh, Miranda, so here we are with your film. How can the population is hit a little radio and everybody share this far and wide for you and with you and how can they see the film um the the film the pathological optimist has a website which is the pathological optimistfilm.com and on there you can see where it's playing in theaters and right now we're doing gather screenings because we had a lot of trouble um also with some theaters um being uh unwilling to play the film due to concern about um, public uh, outcry uh, that it was playing at their theaters. So 
we're now doing gather screenings. Um, so you can go on the website and see where it's playing. Um, and it's playing all over the United States right now. It's also going to be released um, outside of the United States. I'm not sure exactly um, where that is. And it opens on video on demand and iTunes and all of those places that you can watch your movies, Amazon, um, on November 14th, uh, 2017. So it will be available you know, on, on those platforms as well to watch. So great. So this show is airing on the 25th, so it would have just come out. Now, let me ask you this from a filmmaker's perspective. Once you wrap a film and it's gone out to the world, some people, and I think I might have asked Andrew this for the interview next week, does this become your life's work? And I think you already answered it because now you're doing comedies. But or do you do you keep a foothold in it, or uh, you know, how does how does what's your mindset? Um, well, I mean, for me, it's a little different than Andrew. You know, Andrew is um, a very passionate man about a specific, you know, like medical situation. He's a he's a doctor, and he's he's studying vaccine safety, and that's his focus in life. My my focus in life is character and story. So mm-hmm. for me, this is another film that's character and story. It happens to revolve around him um, and his character and his story. But I'm just, you know, going on. I have a comedy I'm finishing right now, and then I have another um, comedy that's in the works right now that's based on the book called The Assistance um, by Camille Perry. That's a a woman's story um, that is a comedy that deals with student loan debt um, in in a funny way. So it's just I'm tackling subjects that interest me speaking of character <clears throat> i really want to give it up and a shout out for his wife carmel she i just was like i was cheering her on the whole time like i pictured like that's how i am with my husband and i really just was like so identified with strong passionate loyal fierce like she just had it all so i'm really um, glad you got to you know, really showcase that because people don't always know that when, you know, these big things are going on, you know, luckily he has a strong support base, but you really got to show that and the effects it's had. So. I mean, you hear that, you know, like behind every strong man is an even stronger woman. I, I, I think you really see that in this movie. Um, you know, Carmel is the, you know, she steals the show. You, you, as a woman, you recognize, you know, what it's like to have to, support your family as they're going through all of this um, bad publicity. Do you feel that, you know, speaking of being a woman, I guess we could talk about that because here today we're honoring two women producers and directors that the, the climate has changed in Hollywood in terms of how you operate and navigate the work that you're doing, or is it still a little left of center and slanted in terms of male versus female? Well, I mean, I think it's definitely still left of center, but um, I will say I think a huge uh, um, wrecking ball just came through that uh, glass ceiling with the Harvey Weinstein of it all. And I think, I think the, uh, the towers are starting to crumble. Um, And, and that's very interesting to participate in and watch um, as, a, as, as a woman. Um, it's, a, it's always been challenging, but I, I think a lot of us didn't realize that that wasn't okay <laughs> until, until recently. Have you been a filmmaker? It's like, you know, when did you know you were going to be a filmmaker? Has this been a like childhood passion or how did it evolve for you? 
Yeah, um, I was eight years old, and I went to the set of a movie called Little Miss Marker with Walter Matthau and Brian Dennehy, oh. and I, I, I knew then that was, that was what I was going to do the rest of my life, and I started with it with acting, and I'm still acting um, still, and um, I'm actually going to Africa in February to work on a TV show as an actor. Um, uh, distribution. I kind of like being a part of all of the sides of it, you know, especially mm-hmm. because then I don't have to wait around. <laughs> That's great. Well, we're so glad that you spent time with us here. Can we just go ahead and give them one more time how people can watch the film, just in case they're tuning in late? Yes, of course. The Pathological Optimist is on iTunes after November 17, 2017, and you can also see it in theaters with question and answers afterwards with uh, Andrew Wakefield and myself, either on Skype or in person, uh, um, from our website screenings uh, listing, which is at www.thepathologicaloptimistfilm.com. And we're also on Facebook and uh, Instagram. Excellent. And, of course, I've been alluding to this, and you might be seeing in the Zeta Global Radio promos, next week we have an entire hour with Andrew Wakefield himself. We'll be recapping his perspective on what it was like to be the subject matter and how it was working with Miranda and all the other parts that we talked about today of what it was like to, you know, be human in the exposing yourself through film, um, telling your personal story. Uh, it's really a powerful, impactful uh, hour, and we invite you all to join us next week as well. So thank you, Miranda, for being here, and good luck with all the many projects that you're working on, and we hope to see you again here on the show. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed this. Thank you. Thank you. Everyone have a blessed week. We'll see you here again.